Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. Um, relationships and the study of relationships continues to be a, an area that I like to examine because I think we bring, obviously, we bring a lot of social conditioning and our own binary view to relationships. So I think it's very interesting to get as many perspectives as possible related to um, how we relate to each other in families and romantic relationships and business, all the ways. So I'm joined today by another serendipitous type guest. Uh, we met um, through, I think, conscious uh, consciousness leaders, um, and um, and then um, my guest met uh, Virginia, and actually didn't know that we were a couple until later, <laughs> which is kind of fun when that happens. So I'm joined today by Farishta Ramsey. Welcome, Farishta. Thank you so much, Justin. Glad to be here. So Farishta is coming in from New York and uh, joining us from New York. She's a relationship coach um, with a background in neuroscience and shadow work, but her, around her specialty of helping people heal relational trauma. And our topic today, as we dig into this, is uh, a little bit different format. We're calling this episode Jumping Heart First. Um, and rather than ask three separate questions, we're going to ask a foundational question Um which is what are some of the biggest emotional or spiritual risks you've ever taken? So we'll get to that in a second, but first I would love to hear just a little bit for the audience of how you arrived at this calling that you have to do this work. You're multifaceted. You're super smart. You can do a lot of things. Why did this choose you or why did you choose it? And then we'll dig Um, into the question. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. I love that question. Um, I think my own despair Frankly, I remember being in my early 20s and having a a lifestyle that I knew was not sustainable, being, you know, waking up, getting stoned, going to a job I didn't like, being in a marriage that I wasn't happy in, trying to rub elbows with people who were not my people, um, and then coming home in despair and waking up and doing it all over again. So I I hit a place where it was like, this can't be it. If this is it, I don't want to be here. Hmm. Um, and so I entered my first shadow workshop with Debbie Ford, who was 23, and realized I could actually do something different. I could hmm. tell a different story and I could get empowered and create hmm. a different life. Um, and that was 20 years ago. Wow. You know, and it's hard to imagine that human anymore, but yeah. I'm also aware that until I got to the root of my relational trauma and the beliefs I had created, the stories I had made up about myself, and then the behaviors, the daily actions I was taking within that story, Mm -hmm. nothing else was really going to matter. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it became my mountain because I feel like it's the root of the root of so many things we wish for and yet we don't do. Right. We don't jump heart first. Yes, we don't jump heart first. And there's a settling, um, not settling in in a good way, but settling is the sense of lowering our standards. And, um, you know, one of one of the roles to me of parents, and I, uh, I've, I did this my 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 boys, my older boys and their mom, and I um, did this with them. And then Virginia was doing this with Andre. He's 13 now, and now we're doing it together. Of of raising people, raising kids that had a well 
a well-formed ego sense of self um and that they were not they weren't there there was not this temptation or or certainly less temptation to let someone else define you you know it's a common thing for trauma survivors is we let someone else define us because that's what happened in our trauma they told us through their actions that we were a piece of shit Mm -hmm. um and then you know we adopt that and in some form either consciously or unconsciously and then that spills over into our relationships and i i think i love that you've been doing it 20 years that's kind of makes you a pioneer in a lot of ways i mean shadow work has been around for thousands of years but really hasn't become a thing that people talk about maybe the last three or four years and that if you could hone in on one sort of collective conscious wound it would be relationships mm-hmm. uh, that you know that causes so much external um trauma and sadness and violence and you know everything from addiction to suicide to the you know dying inside the ben, ben franklin said i have many friends who died in their 40s and they had their funerals in their 70s Oof. Yeah. you know that sense of dying inside that happens when you become successful like you're financially successful. You may not be happy, but you're financially successful. So you're in the proverbial gilded cage. Yeah. Um, so we have this, you know, we think of relationship trauma and relationship dynamics as coming from like abuse. And, and that's true. Those are factors. But so is, so is um, a, 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 rela- a relationships that are more like joint ventures or agreements, uh, or strategic alliances, as opposed to true vulnerable, vulnerable con- uh, containers of exploration so oh i love um, that yes i'm a i'm a huge believer that we are wounded in relationships and we can heal in relationships so mm-hmm. it's like bad news good news to me um yes. and the reality is that we're mammals and we mm-hmm. are interconnected and we do impact each other right so for good or for bad you know we grow up soaking in all this programming and at a certain point my experience with clients is they feel limited by it they don't feel as free as they could be and in some way they want to be freer Mm -hmm. and to me the root is we look at we look at the undigested pain not to just stare at it and navel gaze but to digest it metabolize it so that then wherever they're sitting on their power they get that back yeah i and i deal with a lately in a a different kind of scarcity um you know you think of scarcity mindset as you know what you don't have Mm -hmm. and i've had been dealing with some fairly chronic fear what sarah blondin calls energy habits um around a different kind of scarcity which is the scarcity that these this i have a an amazing life and i'm and i have this sometimes like deep fear that it's all going to be taken from me that i'm gonna you know there's gonna be a tragedy our family has been touched by horrible tragedy in the last year um or extended you know my 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 son caden's partner madison's family and they're therefore by us it you know we're we're her family now too and we so there's that kind of taking it away but then there's the like something about me, like I'm worried I'm going to like, fuck it up. <laughs> you know, like this, this, I got this beautiful life with this amazing relationship, but I've got, I know my calling, I have an amazing blended family. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just thinking this morning, how limiting it is to joy for that kind that kind of scarcity. Um, yeah. 
It's a strange thing to realize that scarcity can be in the midst of abundance. Absolutely. Um, you know, that hoarding and holding on rather than flowing. Um, and I'm sure it's a residual of, you know, still unintegrated or unexamined relationship trauma, but at least I'm aware of it. So, yeah, that's a first step. And I appreciate you sharing that. It feels vulnerable and I feel yeah. really let in to hear that. I also want to normalize like the existential vulnerability of being human right? And yes, yeah. it's all beautiful. And we're also very aware that change is a constant. Yeah. And yeah, we so the, yeah. it we have the nervous systems of mammals and the neocortex of humans, which means, mm-hmm. you know, many philosophers have said this about, you know, Jordan Peterson in his one of his, I think his first book mentioned the same thing as like, you know, life without a framework of understanding it is terrifying mm-hmm. because of that combo of the mammalian nervous system and the human human neocortex and that's why i love philosophy um it's a framework that it's different than religion religion tends to be a framework that denies reality and um, philosophy tends to be a framework that explains reality um, in a different way so you can sort of like be in it and not miss it because there is so much beauty and joy Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the foundational question is this, this idea of the biggest emotional or spiritual risks you've ever taken and jumping in heart first. Um, we're going to break it down by relationships, purpose, and adventure. So you go first, what's a relationship risk where you jumped in heart first and <laughs> what happened and, and was it worth it? And would you do it again? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. This feels really good. Yeah. Um, I'm noticing the part of me that's going, yeah, this is, this is the juice for me. Right. And, and I'm still a human that gets really scared when I take those risks. Um, I would say the relationship I'm in now, because when it began seven years ago, I'd come out of a heartbreak, um, somewhat uh, blindsiding heartbreak and really wasn't sure I could trust again. And here I had this amazing human who showed up and was consistent and trustworthy and dependable um, and predictable in the best sense of the word and slowly beginning to risk more emotionally and let someone in again. Um, That was a big leap of faith for me. And it wasn't one leap. It was a lot of micro leaps uh, throughout years, right? For people who have a fantasy that sometimes it's just this complete surrender it was a yielding through healing every step of the way um and it continues to be that as we evolve and decide to have more life together more building together more collaboration together there's a continued healing i didn't expect um so i would say there were moments where it felt really shaky right as i was getting steady in the possibilities of getting the thing I wanted, which was a transformative partnership, not just, as you were saying, sort of the contained uh, coupledom, but the like, we are going to blow the ceiling off of this. There will be a ceilinglessness to who we get to become together. Um, Not everyone's wanting that ecstatic experience that's a lot for people it is a lot yeah (laughs) i love how you said it's a series of leaps 
because you know, you can also thinking in terms of romantic relationships, you can, if you have what I call the five C's of a conscious relationship, which are chemistry, connection, uh, communication, uh, style, compatibility, and character. Um, if you have those, then you can, you can essentially hack your brain to fall in love many, many times. It's not a honeymoon period per se, but you have to have the connection the chemistry and the trust and all that there first and and i i love that you know that it was the first time first yes especially coming out of heartache or heartbreak um and i think one of the great great challenges as a human is to not let heartbreak hold us back um you know we don't want to you know there's that song only fools rush in you know like that's there's some truth to that too about you know you don't want to be delusional but I, I remember well I, I think it goes to this i think from a risk standpoint is where there's rhythm there's really no risk it's just a matter of saying yes if there's rhythm and flow yeah you got to get in it and, and but you're not like hacking your way through the forest you found a flow state in a relationship and you just get in it and then but you have to be vigilant within it as well because there are still many things to work on, you know, often finding your person is the, you know, first step of many future steps of healing and, yeah. you know, uh, a conscious relationship is a hall of mirrors that don't lie. Um, the, shadow. And the, the shadow, they show you everything. And again, most people aren't prepared for that. They want the top end stuff of like <laughs> ecstasy, <laughs> but you, there's you, you, if you want that, you also have to deal with, you're going to, your, your shit is going to be exposed to you and with the choice of taking the risk to actually work on it. Mm -hmm. um, I think another part of that, just going to that and kind of, I had kind of the same answer. My relationship with Virginia was, was, you know, a significant leap of heart jumping heart first. It still is every day. We choose each other every day. Um, but the, the, the risk after that was, to not return to a wh where I'd been in in my long marriage to uh, Lena, which was in kind of a performative role of trying to be the person that she needed that was at detriment to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's its own risk to be to practice some emotional nudity, um, yes. not emotional vomiting, not you know just sit and you know trauma dump on your partner. I don't mean that. I mean just crack your heart open and let her see the ugly parts. Love doesn't look away. Real love doesn't look away. Mm -hmm. And that's, but that's so risky. I, I, there's some, you probably know this as a neuroscientist that there's science that shows that the risk of a relationship, your brain processes it just like you're, you know, walking through, uh, you know, it, it, you're facing polar bears or something. You're still, it pro, the fear centers of the brain get fired. And they're especially sensitive if you're a trauma survivor. Yeah, it's high stakes, right? It's really high stakes. And the body feels that. And I also feel like when I hear you share this, I think of how brave it is to step in, you know, to jump heart first, and to really allow that vulnerability, that nakedness, right? To, because if we're not seen in all of who we are, which is such a mm -hmm. huge part of what I teach couples, being fully who you are, you're never met with the fullness of love that you crave. If you're hiding parts, 
right? Yeah. To be to be loved. Yes. The ninja yes. move is man, I show up in in my messy human self and someone still loves me. Yeah. I'm still lovable here. That's yeah. hugely reparative for people. Yeah. It is. Um this idea too within, you know, jumping into the heart first into a relationship is that's so much better than the idea of well, the, the way I wrote it um, a while back, I created these um, 10 negative enumerations. So negative enumeration is, is like the 10 commandments or the constitution of the United States, which is what you, what shall not be. So it's a negative enumeration. And one of them was do not love the idea of someone. And so I think our minds, our brains, our ego minds, we, we love the idea of someone and we will work really hard to keep that hologram alive of what we think the person is. And often we create that hologram because it's, we think it's going to heal something within us. Mm-hmm. And I always point this out. The, the person does not heal you. Um, if the, you think your person's healing you, you it's, you are very likely in a trauma bonding situation or you're being gaslit at a dark, on a darker level. The relationship heals you, but only if you show up in it, not within the idea of it, not like that, the, the phrase you hear a lot with like marriage or, you know, relationship counselors, just, you know, in love with the idea of being in love mm-hmm. and you, you gotta let that go. You gotta let the idea of something and go and be in the reality that this could all, it could all end tomorrow in the sense of like death, for example. Yeah. And, and loving the idea of someone is its own way of distancing yourself from them. Um, and that's not intimacy either. You know, that's not closeness. And that's ultimately what the soul wants is just to be close to another soul mm-hmm. that, it, you know, it's, um, it's like that line from the Song of Solomon, the poem in the Old Testament of, uh, I found the one my soul was looking for. Mm. That's true, but it's not, I found the one that's going to heal my trauma and make me feel better about myself. That's what coaches are for and therapists, not your partner. Yeah. Yeah, And I also hold, you know, in, in this container with you, this idea that our wound, when we talk about even relational trauma, our wound is with love, not with a particular person. Obviously the details for each of us is different, right? What we're healing is our relationship with love in that hopefully reparative container with another. And in, in my work, you know, we talk about core human needs, right? Similar to your five C's, like, am I seen? Am I safe? I supported? Am I soothed? I get to fully express myself and still belong because as mammals, the biggest risk is, um, if we are fully expressed, we might lose belonging. And yeah. we are hardwired for attachment, right? Yeah. If I'm going to, to your point of your marriage, you know, previously, like if I, if belonging's the most primal need, you might risk your authenticity for it. Yes. And my stance is what if yeah. you get to be so fully unapologetically, like radiantly you yeah. and you're loved. What's yeah. possible from that? What's place? possible and understanding the nuance between e- ego safety 
and soul safety. They're radically different. This is why I, this is why maybe this is a, maybe this is a bit of absolutism, but I don't think you find your conscious person, the person you're supposed to like your person um, or a person that you can have a deep conscious relationship with until you, until you've done that inner work. Um, and you don't have to be all the way there. Hell, I'm still, I work on it every damn day. Um, but I did a lot of work, a lot of work before I got, before, you know, Virginia and I, you know, crossed cosmic paths. So, mm-hmm. so let's shift jumping in heart first to um, other areas of risk. And obviously relationships are your specialty and my uh, semi fixation. <laughs> uh, but how about the risk of jumping in heart first with your purpose? Mm. Damn, that feels good. Um, yeah, the mountain I stand on today around healing relational trauma as a way to really just unleash personal power, soul power. You know, we throw around the term authentic power a lot, but it's it's the place that is truest for us in our nature. Um that did, was not, you know, an overnight thing. I did my own healing work. I found benefit in shadow work, understanding attachment science, understanding how the brain works, how our brains develop. Um, without that, there's there's not a whole lot of foundational information. And then my past life, I like to call it, was in finance. And you know, again, we're often celebrated for what I call the zone of excellence, like the thing you're good at that's also stable and secure and fits into the the societal standards, you know, the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, but the zone of excellence isn't the zone of genius. And as I watched myself, even at a finance job, my favorite thing to do was to ask people how their relationships were going. Mm. Right? And I was supposed to be like the bean counter in the back. But my favorite time was those communal moments, checking in on a fellow human. So it was always there. And um, right before I turned 40, the six months before uh, my 40th birthday, I kind of had, I would call it not a midlife crisis, but a midlife check-in. It was like, am I going to do finance for the next 30 years? Right. Mm -hmm. There was a real, that decade number had me really stop and sit up straight. Yeah. Oh, hang on a second. How'd I get here? And is this the trajectory? And yeah. the answer for me was no, which was really hard because I had built everything around that being the path. Um, and I made a promise to myself on my 40th birthday. It was a heart first jump, which was I'm going to figure out what it is I'm passionate about. And I'm going to move myself out of finance in the next year. And um, for me, working as a student in relationship coaching at the relationship school, I was like, this is it. When we heal in relationship, in a safe container with another human being, you know, Steve Porges had said this at a conference. He was like, you want a better world, get people feeling safe. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So what you're saying is, is that relational healing um, unlocks possibility and that then you start to see what your real purpose is. Is that a, is that a fair summary of what you shared? Yeah. We can't really soar until we feel safe. 
right? right? So the idea of as coaches creating a safe harbor where someone starts to really practice being themselves and it trickles into their lives, right? Mm -hmm. It can't not. Um, Then they're set up to launch. And that's just the developmental sequence we have as humans. Um, But for me, it was saying, I'm going all in for once. I'm going all the way with something I believe in, which means betting on myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Right. And then just did this didn't come without a tremendous consistent amount of meltdowns throughout the process. (laughs) I just want to name that for people of, holy cow, what am I doing? I'm leaving something very stable, but for my dreams Mm -hmm. and what happens if I, the thing that kept me going was what if this works? Yeah. What if I do with the thing I love, the thing that I wake up smiling about, the thing I could geek out about all day long mm-hmm. and it works and I have sustenance mm-hmm. and purpose and joy and a life that, um, that I got to design. Yeah. Like really yeah. design consciously. So that was my yeah. big leap in purpose. Um, it was always living there. It was always breathing there under the surface. Right. But having to say goodbye to something that, um, let's say, I don't want to say I was programmed into that doesn't feel very uh, empowered. Something I believed was the way until it wasn't. Mm. Let go of that was the big risk. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, as an overall answer, and then I'll be more specific in my, my experience is that you are you choose your career, and then you very very frequently uh, horrified as your consciousness. If you do consciousness work, you have a tragedy <laughs> or something that introduces you to reality yeah. that your career and your purpose are not the same thing, and maybe not even related. Um, and we, you know, we're we're most of us we're still very much influenced in the United States, in particular by by the machine age, the industrial age, of you know, get a job and keep it and provide for your family. So honorable things, honorable things, mm-hmm. but it's not, it may be honorable, but it's not nourishing to do things that are out of alignment with your soul. Yeah. And Amen. yeah. And I found myself there. Um, well, I think I, in hindsight, I probably felt it a couple of years before, probably right in the middle of COVID the fir- you know, before the, you know, that first year of 2020 and mid middle of 2020. Um, where I've been, I've been a branding guy my whole life. And I had a successful firm with my then business partner, Emily, and we were doing okay. Um, and I was, I, I, I found myself yearning to do something else, not career-wise. I enjoyed the work. It was just, I had a higher purpose. And it's interesting in my case, that higher purpose, I've always been purpose-driven, but it's evolved and that's normal. Mm-hmm. But the clarity of it didn't happen until a few months after I, Virginia and I got together. And I think it's when I became socially conscious. Like I think I definitely had been, had some spiritual, you know, deep, fairly deep level of spiritual consciousness, intellectual consciousness, understanding my own mind and all that social consciousness. I just didn't, I, fe- I think my soul felt it, but I didn't. And it was then that I was like, oh, I, I have these gifts. I have this gift of language. And this gift of uncovering what people, what people's souls want to say to the world, 
And if I blend it with Virginia's gifts, we, we would have something that would be a radical moonshot to develop, a, to develop what we're doing with Massive, a radical moonshot to say that there are business leaders that are awakening and they need a coach, they need coaches on how to, what to do with that awakening in their business. My mind's like, man, go get a job as a CMO. My soul's like, yeah, go ahead and get the job as the CMO if you need to. You got to get, you got to eat. You know, Jesus fed everybody before he healed them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, but, so it's not like cast it all to the winds and hope it works out. You know, hope is a generally terrible strategy, mm-hmm. but at the same time is like, keep moving towards this thing that I feel called to do, especially as a, as a white man, as a white American man, um, to, to point out the systemic issues that we have it, it often at great scorn from people um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that are, many of them are it's like family members and people I've known for years of kind of scorn or Justin got woke or whatever term they want to use. And I don't particularly care. I've always been an outlaw, um, but I can't, I can't just like I said, love doesn't look away. Once you know your purpose, you can't look away. You can either choose it or not. Mm-hmm. But you don't get to keep your soul if you look away from your purpose. You, you yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. I feel like hearing you say that I'm, I'm feeling in touch with, you know, when we're loyal to our soul and that's not an easy thing. Right. And it can look a million different ways in the world. For example, you just acknowledging your gifts and knowing what a collaboration could do for this world. But what I do know is what it feels like. And it feels like goodness and alignment and uprightness and excitement and warmth in at least my physical body. So I know what it feels like. And the more that I'm able to, um, I used to have these goals and they looked a certain way. And if I didn't reach them, you know, I would go a little sideways with myself. And now it's like, okay, my life doesn't look the way I wrote it down on paper, let's say, yeah, right. years ago on a vision board, but my life feels the way I wanted it to feel. Right. So there's also just acknowledging that um, we can have it feel a certain way and, and surrender maybe that form for the essence of it. Wow. That's worth, well, many things you said are worth repeating is, but that my life feels the way I want it to feel. I don't think our ego, at least my man brain ego doesn't understand that sometimes, <laughs> you know, my man brain is kind of dumb because <laughs> if I can't, if it can't control it, then it becomes afraid of it. Uh-huh. But that's true. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. I don't that know was... that the ego would likes abstractions, but the reality is if you wake up in the morning and your life feels the way you've always wanted it to feel, that's the metrics of success to me. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you're done and you, you know, I, I think part of the consciousness continuum, I think all consciousness work as you go through life, it, 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 you, the highest state is to create. Mm-hmm. So you, you're not, we don't heal and then become hermits. Mm-hmm. We don't heal and go back to the same, you know, job we don't like. Mm-hmm. You, you heal to create. And I think that's where, that's where that, that feeling, I, I like the way my life feels. 
Oh, that is so profound. You're definitely going to sit with that one for a good while. <laughs> so the last one is um, jumping in heart first with like an adventure. And this is more for the, like the fun stuff. What is something you've done that you, that is shareable, <laughs> uh, that you've done that is, um, that is adventurous that, you know, where the, your the, this, the survivor part of you was like, don't do it, don't do it. And your soul was like, go, go, go. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I have first, the first thing coming to mind is becoming a musician. Mm. Um, I would say in my twenties, if you saw me on an average Saturday, I was sitting on a park bench, writing poetry, people watching, listening to music, hyper introverted, and by no means inclined to step up on a stage and do anything in a spotlight. Right. And I went to, I was living in LA, went to the Roxy on the Sunset Strip and saw a female front woman uh, for the band Kidney Thieves. And my soul went that. Oh. And my personality went, no, like, why? I don't want to do this. And yet it was an undeniable, that's next kind of inform, like information download. Um and I took the steps, right? Like uh, Gary Zukov talks about authentic power being your personality in service to your soul. And what mm-hmm. I had been living before that was my soul being the uh, being below ground and my personality being the master. Yeah. And so it was a big shift of I've got to get voice lessons, then I've got to put a band together and then I want to make a record and mind you voice lessons were not going well. I thought I needed to quit and figure out something else, but I kept going. Um, And the greatest adventure was making a few records with the band and getting on stages when I really wanted to jump out the bathroom window Uh, and my own trauma coming from a war zone and uh, let's say helicopter spotlights um, had a lot of stuff come up for me when we were talking about being in, in a spotlight setting. Um, mm. and I had to, that's when the inner parenting and the inner child work and the, you're safe, you're right. safe now to do yeah. this work and not being so time, um, warped into the past, right? That's what trauma does is it just yeah. yanks us into another time, yeah. um, it was the wildest, greatest adventure to be a sunset strip rock and roll front woman and go to different countries and make records and meet musicians and and play. Like it was the reward of stepping through fear after fear after fear, because that's what it was, was so much joy. Mm. And it was hard earned. Like it, it, there was meltdowns that then went to like, enlightenment and meltdowns and then enlightenment it was if if i was to share with people it's like expect the contractions Mm. before the expansions yeah and then expect a contraction again because we kind of think it's going to be like the superman in a cape like we're just going to soar um but we're birthing ourselves and it's going to require contractions yeah i love that yeah, I, I, um, dichotomous me, you know, I have parts of me that I'm terrified of certain things. And so there's, there's, when it comes to adventure, there's things that don't feel right for me. 
and my soul says no, you mm -hmm. know, like I don't feel any calling or nudge or anything at all to do like ayahuasca, for example. Just don't don't feel it. To use the language of ayahuasca people, the mother has not called me. So <laughs> um and on the other hand, I have a list of things that scare the shit out of me that I know I need to do. And so I think I've 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 done pretty good considering how disintegrated I was and damaged I was to continue to take risks around adventures. And the one that had, you know, a significant was a significant adventurous risk was moving from Boise to Austin almost nine years ago. And I was well-known, well-paid. I would, you know, could have lived a, I could have lived a decent life in, in Boise and had lots of friends and, but I, I, I had, I'd had my first spiritual awakening in early 2014 and, 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 and then the coming together of the plan, uh, Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia says, you know, if you have an idea, take an immediate action towards it. And if it's, if it feels good, keep doing it. Um, wow. and that's how it was like, and I, and I do that still now It's like, okay, I have a feeling. All right, let's take a few steps and see what it feels like. And, but that was a significant, like adventurous move, um, to do that. Um, and, um, and I think that, you know, there's other things I, I want to do that are adventurous or scary. Like I, I, I'm calling 2023, the, my year of making a fool of myself, which is tongue in cheek. It's more just like, so I'm, I'm going to do a, at some point this year, I'm probably this fall do a, I'm going to do a four minute open mic stand-up routine. So we'll see. A comedian friend of mine said, if they don't laugh, it doesn't mean it's not funny. So I'm just repeating that over and over again. Um, uh, but that's adventurous to me to, to, to do that. Um, and to put myself in uncomfortable situations too, not unsafe situations, you know, spiritually. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I like, I want to go down, I want to go down in a, in a shark cage. I think that would be fun wow. and scary and terrifying. Not sure about skydiving, no yeah. to bungee jumping. <laughs> um, and I, so I think also though, every day to, to, I'll put it this way, to live from the higher self with your heart wide open, to live with emotional nudity in the world is an adventure. And, and, and then when you get to do it with your person, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, so um what I, what I remind people constantly is the adventure is generally right in front of us. It's often what we've been, what, an we don't lack, we lack imagination for possibility because we lack attention to uh, uh, opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so look around for opportunities to do something that, that stretches your limits and sometimes helps you establish boundaries. Mm -hmm. You know, those are two, those are two separate things. Limits and boundaries are two separate things. And you got to test, you got to put yourself in situations. You're like, no, that's not for me. Yeah. Um, and, um, it, uh, it, you know, there's, so there's lots of things where you think, well, I wonder what that's like. And so you say, yes, then you try it and you're like, no, nah, not for me. That's yeah. okay. That's still a risk. You took a risk and at a minimum, you get a story. You know, exactly. And a growth yeah. opportunity. I think I love this idea of the risks ahead because moonshots to me, I don't take them to be like the gospel of like, I have to reach that place. What I know about the alchemy of moonshots is if I say, for example, we saw Andre Bocelli at Madison Square Garden, I was like, I'm going to get good enough vocally 
to get on that man's radar and sing with him, right? Now, whether that ever happens or not, me having this excited, enthusiastic, passionate goal, I'm going to become a better vocalist, period. Right. I get to become a part of my own like soul's journey that way. Same with, for me, I've been kind of in a Zoom box since COVID, right? For me, the the growth edge is speaking on a stage or doing a workshop because I would like all of me to enter a room that would feel good to my soul. And it would feel like an edge stretch to be in full community. Um, But I like this risking because this is actually, can I share real quick my... I'm not, I'm not Catholic, uh, but I do like to harness the conscious collective energy of Lent, right? Anytime Mm -hmm. a huge group of people are doing something. And so my letting go, my releasing was when my heart has like a beautiful, spontaneous idea, Mm -hmm. letting go of the, am I allowed to do that though? Yeah. So it's like to our, to our subject, right? It's like, I want to listen to my heart before my mind starts speaking yes and see what happens then yeah it's 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 only heart first head first or or head first you don't get to do both Mm -hmm. and head first the 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 chances of success are pretty slim actually heart first you will win in some way um i think my uh, my kind of wrapping this is you know this grand adventure of you know, I love speaking. I love public speaking. And I love talking about taboo things like, you know, I do on this podcast, but even in conversations and even going into like a, like what I call an unfriendly room, which is usually like older white business owners and talking about consciousness. And here I'm a big guy. I'm six, six, three, 235 pounds. Um, I don't look like, you know, I don't look like man bun guy or yoga guy, you know, <laughs> Uh, and You're like I, the surprise ambassador. Yes. Right. And I love that. And that is a role for me as a rural guy, mm-hmm. um, as a, as a person that I sort of, I don't like the word Christian, but I follow, I follow Jesus's teachings, I guess you could say. Those are all things that most of the time people that talk like me don't look like me. And I love that feeling. So that doesn't feel like risk to me because there's a part of me that's always been an outlaw and it's always been like, mm-hmm. I kind of like being a misfit. I'm okay with that. I um, kind of bring that back to you as, you know, you called me a pioneer, but I feel like this place where you get to shift a paradigm just by being you is yeah, such big medicine for our world. Yeah. Thank you. That's a perfect closing statement. So thank you so much for for this time. And um, thank you for all the work you do. You know, you are, you are, the work you're doing is, is transformative to society. You, you are uh, ushering in a new era of consciousness and the work that you're doing. And we, we look forward to support, continue to support you and however we can. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. It's been a pleasure speaking Thank with you. you. Thank you.